You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for August 23rd, 2023, episode 3252. This episode is brought to you by Kemen Equine. Good morning, horse world. Ah, Wednesday, the day we cover Glenn's favorite topic, (laughs) horse health. And Jamie makes you feel better about yourself with the latest weird news from around the world. Happy Wednesday. Well, Hit'em regulars will have already guessed that Jamie and Glenn are out of office today. But for the rest of you, today's show is a mashup of previously aired masterpieces. This time featuring Polo Ponies 101, The Pet FBI, How to Deal with Hoofwall Flares, a list of of the month clubs from Glenn, and of course, Weird News. Stay tuned for the fray, folks. Instead of uh, study show this month, I thought we'd do weird gift clubs of the month. And now, there's a lot of them that, let's say, are adult when I started looking this up. And we're not doing any of those. But there must be at least 5,000 of them. Are you serious? Oh, yes. Can you send me some websites? (laughs) (laughs) We'll discuss that in post-show. All right. Just send me the link. I don't want to talk about it with you. (laughs) All right. Here is a couple of them. How about the Pickle Club? Each month, a box of the best pickles made in America shows up at your gifties door. For $53 a month, you can give somebody pickles. Wait, pickles? Pickles. Like? Jars of pickles. Cucumbers soaked in vinegar. Yes. Okay. I kind of guess you could probably buy more pickles for $53 a month at the grocery store than you're going to get in the box each month. But they'll probably be prettily packaged. How about the Skulls Unlimited Bone Box? What? You heard that correct. Skulls Unlimited sends you a monthly curation of all things bones. Each box comes with osteological items. I don't even know what that means. Including skulls, teeth, and claws. Of who? I don't know. What? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't go any further. I really didn't want to. That one, by the way, is only $25 a month. So my guess is they're replicas and not the real thing. No, there's plenty of bones out there. Just I don't want them. (laughs) Yeah, you kind of wonder who's getting that box every month. I'd like to see the mailing list for that. That's somebody you don't want to live beside. Somebody in our audience gets that. If you get that and you're an auditor, please post <laughs> in the audit room. I have this, a weird news story that is very oddly similar to okay, that. So. Right. This is one I actually thought about for your husband because I think he'd like this. Although he likes bourbon, not whiskey, right? He likes all the things. Oh, if this it's brown, a, he'll drink it. This is a whiskey club. It gives you a monthly subscription to the world's best whiskeys. A bottle is hand-selected by experts and delivered to your door with tasting notes and secrets. Now, how much would you pay for that a month? Wait, tasting notes and secrets? What? Yeah, they just give you tasting notes, I guess. Don't you just drink it? Do we need notes? You pour it in a glass and you drink it. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what I would pay for that. It depends on how fancy it is. Like, rot gut liquor is like 
from a still in Tennessee, or are we talking like some like it says Scottish hand selected uh, for the world's best whiskey? I can hand select whiskeys from uh, <laughs> still in Tennessee. <laughs> Seventy five dollars a month for that one bottle of whiskey. My grandpa used to make make pretty good. <laughs> Here's one for you: the Cat Lady box. The Cat Lady Box ships cat-themed items for the cat-obsessed, including jewelry, accessories, decor, and clothes. We love how adorable all these cat-themed items are. And you can do that for $40 a month. Okay, well, cat that lady seems... Box friend. Yeah, you know what? It's like when you have a Basset Hound, and oh, your family members <laughs> give you everything Basset Hound. If I, if I like... Wore my Basset Hound earrings with my Basset Hound necklace on my Basset Hound t-shirt that you gave me. And then the socks that have my Basset Hound's picture on it. You know what you are labeled as? Crazy. <laughs> so be careful how much cat wear you wear at the same time. Well, it's all the, about, it's all about like, you know, just limitations. Although that shirt I got you was really cute. Yeah. <laughs> with the Basset Hound. Uh, how about uh, to follow that up? How about if you're a, Chicken, if you're a chicken lady, the Henry plus Rue Chicken Keepers box. For the folks with flocks of backyard chickens running around, this subscription box makes perfect sense. Every month, they send you coop items and treats to keep your spoiled chickens healthy and happy. Do you want me to send you that for Christmas? No, I'm good. Okay. My chickens have food and water. <laughs> $43. You have to really love your chickens. Good Lord. You know what? <laughs> to be fair, like I'm actually s struggling with the whole chicken keeping thing now because the prices of chicken feed have almost tripled. More than horse feed? <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. I used to pay Who like knew? $15 for a bag, not tripled, maybe uh, doubled. And now it's like 28 something dollars a bag. I'm like, chicken I, feed. I don't, I don't like these enough. <laughs> And they keep making babies, and I'm like, stop it. Nature will happen. <laughs> like, let it happen. Well, here's one. If your preference is not cats or chickens and you like rats, it's called the Rat Pack. Dogs aren't the only pets that can get monthly treats and toys. Starting at $11, rat owners can get a box of three items a month for their furry friends. Well, I would do a guinea pig box for $11. Have more than a couple of rats? A $20 <laughs> subscription gets you six items. Guinea pigs can get their own box, too. <laughs> <gasps> yes! $11 guinea pig treats. I'll do that! <laughs> All don't give sudden, me guinea interested. pig stuff for Christmas. <laughs> I don't need any. Oh, here's one that's just why. History by mail subscription. And I thought, what the hell are they going to send you? You get reading replicas of important historical documents. That's right. They make copies of historical documents, print them out on their printer, and send them to you. Why? Uh, good question. $76 <laughs> a month. What? For That's copies. Crazy. There's a guy who said, I think I can convince these people to buy replicas. I'll just put them on cheap parchment paper. Everybody gets a <laughs> copy in their first box of the Declaration, Declaration of, of Independence. Independence. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which I could print out on my own. Uh, yeah. How about this one? The Letters from Dead People box. Oh, God. You receive letters that paint a story based on fictional or real historical characters, and each month gives you a mystery puzzle to solve. So, again, it's a piece of paper that basically they've made up. You for know what? We did go to an escape room and had to solve a crime, and it was a, like a million dollars for those of us to get in. So, I mean, maybe this is like that. <laughs> 
$154 a quarter. Oh, God. Never mind. <laughs> okay, the Bacon Club. Uh, personally, I want this one. Um, which delivers the best bacon from across America each month. You'll enjoy two to five pounds of bacon and, and a variety of cuts and flavors for $70 a month. Oh, my God. Get a pig. <laughs> Oh, this is for your husband. And believe me, don't tell him because I might just give him this. It's called the Apaca Box. Oh, God. Are you we already have it. We already have it. No. I'm sure. No, I mean, not that one, but I'm sure we are probably prepped for well, something. Well, that good cat. Good, good catch on the Apaca Box. Are you getting ready for Doomsday? Well, better be prepared with the Apaca Box, a subscription box that's based on survival. Every month you receive a collection of survival tools that will help you get ready for the apocalypse. Okay, what is that website? Is that I am getting him that for Christmas. Apaca <laughs> <laughs> Box. I thought, I thought, my God, this is so him. Oh, I'm just going to get it for him and make fun of him the whole time. <laughs> oh my God, that's crazy. I just want to see what's it? in it. 50 bucks a month. Oh, yeah, I don't love him that much. Well, you know, you could probably do it for a quarter and cancel. <laughs> <laughs> Three months would be worth it. I want to see what's in the damn box. Um, There's a boomerang in it? What is that going to do to help you? <laughs> that will not help you with the zombies. Playing the cards, a boomerang. I guess if you want to, you know, you're stuck down in the... Uh, your the cellar. Cellar. You <laughs> want to play cards? The boomerang's going to be tough in the cellar, though. I don't know. Well, Can I can't me? even throw a boomerang. Who am I going to get? Let me get zombies with the boomerang. <laughs> all right, one more. The House of Rituals box. This is for all our Wiccan friends. The House of Rituals box by Tamed Wild is a fun option for modern Wiccans in need of supplies for rituals, spells, prayers, and intentions. Okay, when you preface that, you said this is for all of our Wiccan friends. Yes. Do you have a lot of Wiccan friends? I do have a couple of Wiccan friends, and you're going to say, why does Glenn have a couple of Wiccan friends? That's what I was thinking. Yes, well, remember, <laughs> I used to do Renaissance fairs in the old days. So so those people are Wiccans, notoriously? Uh, there are a few, yes. They do okay. come out for the Renaissance fairs. So that's only $20 a month if you want your Wiccan box. Uh, so there you go. Since 2021, Equa Summit has attracted hundreds of attendees looking to unlock gut health and strength solutions for their horses. The third annual Equa Summit virtual learning event is right around the corner, taking place September 5th and 6th. It is right around the corner. Can you believe it's almost September? Join us as experts from the industry and academia tackle important equine health issues such as leaky gut syndrome, insulin dysregulation, stress management, and exercise physiology. And and other horse and nutrition topics as well. Whether you're a roper, an inventor, a farrier, a veterinarian, a hobbyist, just have backyard horses like me, you'll find Equisummit has something for you. Don't let this opportunity ride away. Register today for free. That's right. It's free at attendequisummit.com. That's attendequisummit.com, and it's September 5th and 6th. All right. Well, I would like to welcome Dr. Lauren Proctor-Brown. She came on and talked to us about a health issue not too long ago, and then I found out she had polo ponies. So, of course, we have to bring her on to talk about that. Hello, Dr. Proctor-Brown. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Glad to be here to talk about polo. So, tell us about Team Resolute. 
Yeah, so Team Resolute is um, me and my business partner, David Eldridge. Um, He has been playing polo for too many decades to admit on air. Um, (laughs) He was the um, polo coach at Cornell University for quite a long time. He has quite a few national championships behind his name, so lots of polo experience there. Um, And I started playing polo a little bit more recently than that. Um, But we started Team Resolute to really um, advance the sport of polo and and train more people, you know, for polo, train polo ponies. So what we do um, is until COVID, we had traveled between Florida and the Northeast. Um, We're a little bit of snowbirds. And then when COVID happened, we decided Florida sounds really good. (laughs) And we stayed here year round. Um, and we do lessons and we train horses. And now we also started the Ocala Polo Club as well. So that's that's um, managed by, you know, our management company. And then, um, you know, we kind of try to make this a very, like, family-friendly, very friendly kind of club-level polo um, where everyone can kind of advance and improve and, and, you know, learn a lot of horsemanship and sportsmanship and all in a really fun way. Um, so we have... 15 polo ponies right now that are owned by the company um, between the two of us. And they're in various levels of, you know, between um, your made horses that are really lesson horses and things like that. And then go out and play polo. And then um, some that are being trained. Um, We train about two a year. Um, It takes quite a long time to make a polo pony from off the track to playing in matches. So we give them lots of opportunity to, to grow through the the two years that we plan and they're training out over. That was one of my questions is, is it, is it mainly thoroughbreds off the track that you use? Yeah. Yep. So, um, of those 15, there are two that are Argentine bred polo ponies. So they were bred in Argentina, um, and were actually probably three. One was bred in Texas, but it's Argentine breeding. Um, and they were bred for polo. All of the other horses had a first career as a racehorse. Um, whether or not they made it to the track, a couple of them didn't, but the majority of them are tattooed and did race at some point. Um, we love to take them at about three or four years old off the track when they've gotten some good experience under their belt. They're a little bit more mature so that they can then learn the sport of polo with a mature, more mature brain. When you try to teach a really young horse, they're not quite prepared for the, the rigors that it's going to entail. Cause it's a, it's a lot to expect of them. So yeah, that's what like I was going to ask. A is, bit older horse. What is a day in the mm-hmm. life of a polo pony? Our polo ponies are, I think, pretty spoiled. They, they live a pretty good life. So they um, are turned out all night. So they get to run around with their friends. They're always in a, in a herd. So they get that herd experience where they're really together. They have friends. They, you know, they interact as a group. You, we don't tend to isolate our polo ponies at all because they have to pull, you know, they have to work with other horses. They have to play with other horses. So they get a lot of social interaction. They come in, they get fed, um, they'll go out on sets. So um, a set for polo isn't just, you know, one rider, one horse. It's one rider, one horse, and four ponies being pulled alongside. Um, so it's a whole different beast. Um, Depending on the day or where they're at in their season, um, that set might just be a walk set. It might be a trot set or, or, you know, a little faster gallop gainer set. Um, They might work for 15, 20 minutes, if that. um, And then that's their workout for the day if they aren't playing. Um, They then might go to, if it's it's a practice day, um, they get to rest all morning. They might go out on a walk if, if they've been in for too long, and then they'll go to practice. So they'll trailer to the field. They'll get tacked. They stand tied at the trailer. Um, they're, they 
think trailering is just old hat because they do it so often. Um, and then they'll practice. They'll typically only play one chucker depending on the level of play. Um, if it's a pretty beginner match or beginner practice or something, they might do two chuckers. So they'll play, get a break, and then play again. A chucker is a period of polo and only lasts seven and a half minutes. So these guys don't work for long time periods. They work and do a high intensity workout um, and then get breaks. Um, so they don't do like an hour workout. Yeah, it might not um, be a long time, but it's it's pretty intense. I would imagine that, that seven and a half minutes yes. is... Think about that. Think about running for seven and a half minutes back and forth and round. You, yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a lot. And it's it looks like a lot as a rider. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's definitely a lot as a rider. So as a rider, your day looks a little different. So you might be riding multiple sets if you're, um, if you're the groom or taking care of or working all of your horses. And then, you know, you're not just playing one trucker, you're playing several truckers in a practice. So anywhere between four and six or, you know, a big practice, you might have eight horses to work. Um, how do you, how do you warm up a, a polo pony getting ready for that, that's this running the suicides? Yeah. So um, they don't get a long warm up just because of the structure of practice. They might get um, walk, you know, they basically walk to the field, trot a little, stretch out, loosen the, I like to warm my horses up on a loose rein so they can stretch their neck down um, and then ask them to start, start cantering, do some flying changes, get them kind of ready to go. Some quick stops because they'll be expected to stop on a dime. Um, we call those rollbacks when they stop quick and turn around the other direction. So you'll do a, a little bit of that give them a little bit of a breather depending on the horse. Some horses need a little bit more of a blowout. So you might like gallop them a little bit before they play. Um, or you might just tune them up, do a couple flying changes and, on, and let them get going. Um, so it depends a little bit on the day and, you know, the heat and what that horse individually needs. Um, but the majority of them maybe get like a five minute warm up and then they start working. So wh- what type of shoes do they wear? Because you talk about the rollbacks. That's not something that you could do barefoot. I would imagine. No. So polo ponies typically are shot all around. So they have four shoes on. Um, Their shoes have an outer rim on the bottom so that they have a little bit more grip. And their hind shoes actually always have cocks on them. Um, In places where it's really rainy, like England, they'll have studs that will be put into their shoes for a rainy day. In the States, we typically don't play in the rain. um, But (laughs) in England, they have to. So we don't typically have studs, but our hind shoes do have heel cocks on them. Um, so that gives them a little bit more grip and they have an outer rim on them as well. So they, um, unlike an eventing shoe has an inner rim on it. A polo shoe has an outer rim, which gives or them like a, a, bit of a, different sort of a race plate has a rim on the front to help them grab, but it right. doesn't help them turn right. very well. So, right. It, exactly. It so that's a full rim, the whole, the whole width, the whole length of the shoe. Yeah. So they get a lot of grip and you definitely really want them very grippy and you want them shod very tight. So there's no heels, like there's nothing hanging off the back as far as that their front legs could grab. Um, we want, we want our horses shod very close to the actual hoof so that we don't rip their shoes off. Um, but they do tend to lose shoes. They tend to spin themselves right out of their shoes. Not their horses. Frequently. <laughs> yeah. their horses. When you Still ask a horse to spin that quickly, they definitely lose shoes. Well, you know, yeah, as so- a, as a participant, I, I work with a rescue organization here in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and I have been very fortunate to adopt out many horses. Probably, you know, in the la- last year, we adopted out eight or nine horses for off the track to go be polo horses. And I just know mm-hmm. that those horses are going to have the best life because that's how horses they're trained intense. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're trained exquisitely. And then they're also taken care of because it's no good if it's lame, you know, so you guys take such good mm-hmm. care of it. Um, mm-hmm. now 
the thing that they liked, uh, the people I, in Texas that I was dealing with, 15, two or under, and they like them to be Phillies or mares. Yes, we do like mares. So mares have a little bit more fight in them. So when you want that like extra little push, you really want to win that match. You really want to win that ride off or you really want to get that ball. that the truth about all females? (laughs) Yep. We just got that little extra little bit of fire. (laughs) Little bit of... We do have have some geldings um, and they are just rock stars. They do their job. They go out there, but they're not the horse. If I was like, if things were tight, we're going into overtime. I'm not going to pick a gelding. I'm going to pick a mare. Wow. That's so cool. That is so cool. <laughs> well, listen, where can people find out? I believe your website is teamresolutepolo.com. Is that where they would, should get a hold of you for lessons or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Teamresolutepolo.com. You can get a hold of us. You can um, talk to either David or I do lessons all the time. So <laughs> there's so much going on. And we're just a part, about to start our summer season here in Ocala. So um, we do also always welcome the spectators to the field. So if you want to learn anything about polo, want to come out, watch a match, you want to get on a horse, um, we can set up anything you any, your, anything your heart desires. But in order to learn polo, you do have to know how to ride first. Yes. Yes. So you're not doing beginner lessons here, people. This is for like, this is like you've uh, actually, it's just something that I really want to do. I think it'd be so fun Mm -hmm. to play polo. So I'm going to go ahead and book a lesson and take a trip to Florida. I'll see you on. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That'd be awesome. We'd love it. All right. Dr. Lauren Proctor Brown, teamresolutepolo.com. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about polo ponies one-on-one. Thank you for having me. Have a good rest of your day. You too. When I lived in Kentucky, I would see the people doing their sets and it'd be like one person and then riding a horse and ponying two on each side, just going, just trotting. They'll take the whole, there'll be five of them. You see it here a lot around. You'll see them riding around the tracks and they'll have five horses. And (laughs) ponying one is hard, let alone five. Uh It's crazy. Daily Dose Equine Horse Feeds has one, two, three, four different formulas that we're going to chat about very briefly today. First one on the list balances the needs of horses who need calories, but they also need a little bit of focus. What's that one called? Called Mass No Sass. They also have a formula that's going to balance the needs of a horse that needs a lot of energy because he is a high-performance competitor. What's that one? That one is called Freestyle Performance or Tramex. Because yes, trail horses can be high-performance animals. And for senior horses or horses who have dental issues... That one's called senior. Tough to remember. And for those who want a top-quality, non-GMO feed, which is what all of Daily Dose Equine's feeds are, but they also have a really serious budget that they need, they need to stick to, what, are they, what do you have for them? We call that product Sweet and Safe. And now it's time for our health segment today... It's time for the Horses in the Morning Horse Health Report, when our intrepid hosts, together with an unlucky member of the equine veterinary trade, attempt to inform, enlighten, or terrify horse owners everywhere into funding a Kickstarter campaign to mass-produce Kevlar-coated, bubble-wrap-lined equine products. It's time to welcome to the show Steve Kraus, Certified Journeyman Farrier and Head of Farrier Services at Cornell University. This man has forgotten more about hooves than anybody will ever learn. Hi, Steve. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. How are things in, at, at Cornell? 
Well, you know, it, it, spring is here. It's a little rainy here today, but, you know, every, the flowers are blooming, the grass is growing, and the horses are, you know, coming out of the winter, you know, uh, hold back. That there's been. So <laughs> things are pretty busy. Yeah. Fresh grass is growing. That means you're going to see some laminitis this spring. So that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's always exciting. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, we live in a place, I'm in a, I'm in a situation where you never, it's like Forrest Gump and the box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> yes. That's like walking to my barn every day too. So we're going to talk a little bit about hoof wall flare. And it's okay. interesting because this is something that I dealt with, with my last Mustang that I had was it did not matter what we did. He ended up with a hoof wall flare in his hoof wall. So tell us what that is. Well, the, the flare is a result of, of, physics at work, basically. Um, most flares, and not every flare falls into this, but I would say that the simple version is, is if you have a, a, a balloon on a table and you push down on the center of it, both sides bulge out. If you can rotate a little bit or move your finger and push on one side, you can see one side flaring sideways and the other side straightening up. So that's what's going on in a horse's foot. So it's a conformational issue. So if the if the legs aren't reasonably plumb, the weight coming down from the shoulder or or the the hip comes down through the leg, the cannon bone, and then pushes on one side of the hoof or or, or the other. So a, a flare to the outside, we call that a lateral flare, and a flare to the inside is a medial flare. And so a lateral flare is usually the horse is a little base wide or rotated outward. And an inside medial flare is a horse that's slightly you know, inside himself, either towed in or base narrow. So does that make sense? It absolutely does. Yes. Uh, so uh, on a horse that has these flares, it seems like that sounds like nature trying to help them out, balance their confirmation, or is it something that gets in the way and causes problems? Something that gets in the way. This is not, um, well, it could, you could say it's natural because the horse is born with it and it wasn't corrected, um, but it's, uh, as far as the horse surviving with it, the horse can survive with it pretty well. Can the horse function in athletic work with that? That's when we start having problems because we're asking the horse to work harder than he would if he was, you know, just uh, grazing and doing very little else. So uh, there is a report from the American Farriers Journal that I helped them with quite a few years ago called the Assateague Island uh, Ponies, and it's available through the American Farriers Journal. And, and they, what they did was they um, had a lot of the horses that died of natural causes on Assateague Island. They're all, you know, wild pony-type horses. Mm -hmm. And they collected them up, and they uh, sectioned their legs. And, and, and not a straight-legged horse amongst these horses, but many of them lived 20, 22 years old, whatever. And uh, they sectioned the legs and took all these beautiful photographs, which they sent me. So I could comment on all the pathology that was occurring in the joints and so on. And it was amazing how much pathology over time occurs when joints are um, unevenly loaded. Interesting. So, so the flare that is on the hoof, you find it's better to remove that than to let yeah. it happen. Yes. Cause that's leverage and that's, that's kinking the, the coffin joint and the fetlock joint in one direction or another. So if you take a, a straight on what we call a dorsal palmer 
radiograph, you would see the joint being compressed before that flare is trimmed off. Okay. Okay. So is it a result of somebody not doing enough hoof care or is it just something that every six weeks, five weeks needs to be taken care of? Well, uh, once we get into the mature horse and we're talking, um, you know, I don't mean mature, like in five or six years old, but you know, the horse's bones are pretty much set. Um, the window closes of changing anything in the leg. So under a year, we have time. The lower, the lower it is on the leg, the quicker we have to do things to, you know, modify that growth. And so once we have the more mature horse, that is everything is set the way it's going to be. Now all we can do is manage the hoof itself, either with frequent trimming, uh, in some cases with, you know, shoe modifications. We might roll a, a shoe in the direction of the flare to reduce the leverage we, you know, we grind off or you know, the outside of that, uh, you know, area, or we might put some metal where the foot isn't to give the horse a little more support that he's lacking. Um, and again, that depends upon the work the horse is doing and, um, you know, what we're trying to help the horse with, but we'd like the horse to bear weight evenly and not hit one side, then load the other, which is like a, if a horse is flared to the outside toe, which is fairly common, they hit that outside toe first and then they load on the inside heel, which is not good for the leg. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if I'm, 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 I'm horse shopping and I see a, a horse that has some flares on say the hind legs or air front legs for that matter. Um, is this something that I should walk away from or is it something we can manage and keep the horse happy and healthy and in a career? So keep in mind that there's no such thing as a perfect horse. Yes, there is, and Steve. I own them. Know. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody owns a perfect horse, but then they bring <laughs> them to me and we talk about what I'm seeing. Right. Um, so, um, and we're talking about conformational deviations. And if it's a real deformity, that should be jumping right out at you, like a leg that's really twisted or a misaligned cannon bone to the horse's knee. That's stuff I would stay away from. Uh, if you have a, a cannon bone that's outside the knee and the, the toe, you know, you can see the inside toe is pointing, you know, medially, you know, that you're going to have problems if that horse is in any reasonable amount of work. So I think of these things as mild, moderate, severe, mild, slight deviations are in the normal range. And we can take care of this with proper frequent trimming and, and, the, and proper shoeing if, if, if the horse is in that kind of work. And then as we get into moderate, here's where we have to be a little trickier. And the person you get to do this work has to be not shoeing the horse in a generic way, but doing something to compensate. Um, and, and if everything else about the horse is good and you have a way to manage these problems, then, okay, that's what farriers do. We manage these conformational problems with shoe modifications and, and proper trimming and so on. And then as you get abnormalities that are, you know, beyond the moderate range and severe, those are the ones, you know, that are jumping out at you. And you should just say, okay, I don't, I don't care who this stallion is. I don't care how much money this horse has won or whatever. This is a problem that is very hard to manage if it can be managed at all. That's it's amazing. Now, uh, for those who are listening and are super interested in everything you're saying, much like me, who uh, maybe have a desire to go on and learn to be a farrier, you guys at Cornell do farrier courses. Uh, I think you've got a yes. short course in the advanced course. Tell everybody a little bit about that and how they can get involved. 
Well, we have the 16-week um, uh, farrier course, and we you know, prefer people to have horse experience, of course, and maybe ride-along farrier experience so they know what they're getting into. And then quite often we find or they find people to work for. The advanced course is for people who have been to other schools and then want to learn some specialty stuff or get ready for American Farriers Association certification tests. So they come here to kind of get, you know, tuned up. Another thing people can look at, if they go on the um, um, American Farriers, I'm sorry, the American Farriers Journal website, I have a bunch of uh, videos that I've done, and they have uh, a way that you can access those videos on confirmation and the problems it causes and what we can do. So that's also, I'm putting in a plug for the American Farriers Journal here, but they have a really great website where people can go on, and I think you might have to pay something for it, but it's really... Lots of, not only myself, but lots of other world-renowned farriers are on there. How, um, now that it's spring and you're starting to see a thaw, are you able to get out there and play some polo? We're actually um, uh, getting our outdoor polo horses going right now. I know I've been on mine, and um, I've kind of cut down on the amount of horses I've had, but so it's easier now to get them going. And we (laughs) plan on playing outdoor polo on the grass by the end of this month. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting! Well, make sure you post some pictures. We'd love to see it. And uh, yeah, this guy, this guy Steve, he he not only sits under him, he sits on top of him as well. So uh, might, you're, might you're as well, you know, get my money's <laughs> worth out of this channel. <laughs> Fantastic! You can find more about uh, Steve at vet uh, cornell.edu, and you can look him up in the uh, College of Veterinary Medicine part of it. And uh, Steve, as always, thank you so much for joining us, and um, have a great. Gosh, I can't wait for that first uh, first match. So good luck. All right. Well, always great to talk to you. And, um, uh, you know, I'm always here for you guys if you need anything. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. I love that. Get your okay. money's worth out of them. Sit on them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bye, Steve. Bye, Steve. Okay. Thanks. Good. See you. We have Leslie Poole coming up, Executive Director of the Pet FBI. And I didn't know what that was either. Jennifer found this one. So let's find out. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, I, I, you know, I said in the introduction that I, ha- I had never heard of the Pet FBI before. This is something that our producer found. And so what is the Pet FBI? Pet FBI, it stands for Pets Found by Internet. And we are a lost pet recovery organization. We were founded in 1998. So we've been around for quite a while. Um, We were started here in Columbus, Ohio, which is where I live, and then we expanded to serve all of the United States and Canada. Um, So we have a a free database. We're a nonprofit organization, so all of our services are free, and anybody can go into our system and post a lost or found pet report um, for free of charge. Uh, You can search our database if you want to see lost and found pets in your area. You can sign up for email alerts of lost and found pets. Um, we also have a very extensive knowledge base um, on our website for tips and suggestions. And we have lots of wonderful dedicated volunteers that will give you suggestions and support um, because there is nothing worse than having a lost pet. So this is all kinds of pets? It is. Yes, absolutely. Most of our reports are dogs and cats, but we also get birds and tortoises and horses and um, pigs. So, yes, all kinds of pets. I am shocked. I'm looking on here. Uh, I just went and searched our area. We live near Ocala, Florida. 
And mm-hmm. I went and searched our area, and I'm shocked at how many lost pets there are. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, that happens. Now, we just came through the 4th of July, which is our busiest time of the year. Oh, I bet. Um, fireworks terrify pets, and so we always have a lot of um, lost pets, especially dogs, right after the 4th of July fireworks. So, yeah, so you're looking, um, you're probably seeing quite an increase now because we're still coming through that 4th of July rush. Uh, so how 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 effective has this been? Have you seen results? Yeah, we do see results. Um, you know, we probably have uh, close to a 40 to 50% reunion rate for dogs is a little less than cats. It is dependent on people updating their reports. So we know it's higher anecdotally. We know it's higher than that because not everybody goes back in and updates their reports after, um, after their pet is back home. So, but we do get a lot of people saying, you know, how grateful they are. Um, a lot of what helps is the email alerts that we send and the potential match alerts. So, for instance, if you post a lost dog in our system, you're going to get all the found dog reports to your inbox in real time. And so a lot of pets are reunited that way as well. How do you afford to keep this up if you're not charging anybody? We, <laughs> well, we are a nonprofit, so everything we do is just thanks to our very generous donors um, who support us with donations and time and um you know we we have a lot of really dedicated people who support us but yeah we're all run by donations jamie lives in oklahoma i bet you there's no lost dogs in oklahoma at all um in your area (laughs) just bears just Just bears (laughs) i'm looking here and there's a lost bird in ocala just went lost too his name is pretty boy i think every parrot has been named pretty boy since the history of time uh, that it seems to be. If not, they should have been. <laughs> it seems to be the most common name for parrots. But yeah, this would. I, it, it, there, there is dogs. There's cats. There's uh, parrots. I mean, it's Florida, so we tend to lose things here. Yeah. Um, I, you know, <laughs> when I looked at your Facebook page, I love the idea that you have a be prepared. Uh, kind of instructional, what you should have if one of your pets goes missing. The packet should include, it says, up-to-date photo with detailed description of your, your pet, uh, the license number, microchip number, contact information of any chip company, address and phone number of the nearest animal control facility, and a link to pet FBI to file a log- lost pet report. Now, the, what I would like to say, as far as the pets I found in Oklahoma, I think the best place to start is to freaking put a license on your dog, a call with a name and a phone number. <laughs> That's like, a good start. Start <laughs> with that. But I do appreciate, you know, easiest. sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes things happen yeah. and collars come off, I get. But for the most part, like, Absolutely. this is just good information for people, too. And there's a whole section on what to do in the fireworks and being prepared. It's amazing to me how many pets go missing after fireworks. Like, people, close the door. Yeah, don't let the dog exactly. outside and the fireworks. Don't leave your dog and, outside. Do you do anything with we the chips? Tell people, yeah. Do you do every, anything with the every chips? Every year we do this. By the way, do you do you track the chips or do you put the numbers in there? So, you know, do you do anything with that? We we don't record. There are databases that you could go to to search a microchip number. So we don't actually do um, the recording or the registration of microchip numbers. We advocate for everybody getting their pets microchipped, um, and we do um, like in. Various areas will do microchip clinics. We'll help out with our shelters to make sure they can afford to put microchips um, on their dogs that they're adopting out. 
Um, so, and we do actually have a group of volunteers called microchip hunters and they will go and track down. Um, there are a lot of red, unregistered microchips about only about six out of 10 re- microchips are registered with up-to-date contact information. So we do have volunteers who will track down those unregistered microchips and try to find the owners. Like the real FBI. Exactly. <laughs> so are you getting cooperation? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So are you getting cooperation from the shelters and things like the Humane Society? When dogs come in, do they do they know to look at you and, and have that has that become a thing? We um, we do have great relationships with a lot of our shelters. It just depends on the area. So um, there are just so many shelters out there. So if we're in the area, we, you know, we try to reach out to them and educate them and let them know that we are an option. Um, so, you know, we, we try to foster those relationships as much as possible. And we have great relationships with a lot of municipal shelters. Yeah, you know, I think knowledge of this is the key, right? More and more people know about it, they know to look, because we didn't know about it, so we wouldn't have known to look here. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is great. I I love what you're doing here. This is terrific. Thanks. It's very rewarding to get, when you get a lost pet back home, I mean, that's a family member. That's somebody's family member. They are devastated. So, um, you know, being able to return that, help somebody get that pet back is, is amazing. And and it was started by a retired French professor. Um, is, is that right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, Marisa Finelli is our founder. She had a personal experience where she lost a pet and realized that there was no central location to post lost and found pets. And so, you know, she realized that she was going to all of these different areas and it was just so inefficient. Um, and so she decided to do something about it in 1998. You know, that's the, like the beginnings of the Internet. There weren't a lot of resources out there. Um, and so she she started her own, and we've been growing ever since. I have a love-hate relationship with uh, French professors because I took French for a lot of years, and I think I flunked it all those years. I never did very well in French, so I don't have a relationship with <laughs> No, my, my, I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I take French and not Spanish is what I always ask myself. You know, years later, it's like I should have done that. I well, I took Latin. No, oh yeah, there that we we use that every day too. Um, yeah, <laughs> we chose well in our young it, young you age. You use Latin for your budding medical career. That's yeah, what it was. That's right, that's right. That's right. it's still budding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> still waiting for that. And has the FBI contacted you about using the name FBI? Is that a registered name, by the way? I was wondering about that. It is. We did trademark. Pet FBI is trademarked, yes. Okay, good. So the real <laughs> FBI didn't had, come after you and, like, show what you're doing? Nobody came after us. No, we do get some people who contact us thinking we are the actual FBI. Oh, yeah, um, they have a missing oh person. Oh, my God. Please <laughs> tell me a story about somebody who calls you thinking you're the FBI. What did they say? Like, hey, man, I think my next-door neighbor's dealing meth. I need y'all to come on over here and take a look. You're like, we're pets. <laughs> right, right. And we get that a lot. Like, oh, my pet was stolen. There's a ring of pet thieves and you need to shut them down. And we'll get details. And we're like, well, that's awful. <laughs> Sadly. Um, you should contact not the, other <laughs> yeah, the other FBI. The other FBI. All right. Well, this is great. Uh, It it is PetFBI.org is the website. You can also find them on PetFBI on Facebook. Thanks for doing the work you do. This is really terrific. Thank you so much for letting me talk about it. I appreciate it. All right. Bye, Leslie. Bye-bye. So we have Stolen Horse International, and now we have the PetFBI. I think that's great. Apparently it's been around for a long time. Had you ever heard of it? 
No, no, but that's how that's how these things become successful is sharing sharing the word, you know. Yeah. And it is it's set up. It's an easy to use website. I mean, everything about it, it's very easy to use. Some of these are difficult to use. This one was set up so well. And I was able to pull up I was able to pull up our county and find and you can pull by date. So I, I pulled the last thirty days and there's there's pages of dogs and cats missing over the last thirty days in just our county. Wow. It's wow. crazy. All right. Well, hopefully they find their 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 owners sometime soon. Well, StatelineTech.com right now is having a WinTech giveaway. Right now, our WinTech giveaways are over, so you can still win a, a WinTech. Head on over to StatelineTech.com. Big banner right there at the top of the homepage. Uh, you can enter to win one of two WinTech saddles, a WinTech's Kids Saddle, which I think every kid should start with a WinTech because they don't take care of their stuff. And the second one is a WinTech 500 flocked all-purpose saddle, which we've all ridden in. I've even ridden in one of those. So you get your choice of size, you get your choice of color, and you can just enter to win right there on StatelineTech.com. And of course, you can check out all the clearance sales they're having right now, getting ready for the back-to-school and also all the blanket shipments that will be coming into their warehouses. They have to make room. So check it out at StatelineTech.com. Time to learn why some days you're embarrassed to be part of the human race in Jamie's Weird News. They just keep coming, Glenn. They just keep coming. (laughs) People are still weird at the holidays. People are still weird and we will end up in Florida, you know, as as it's you know, per the norm. Um, and, and wow, that one's good. So anyway, these are weird news stories. If you're ever reading the internet or scrolling through your phone or looking, I don't know, at a paper and you're like, this is really weird. Send it to me, Jamie at horseradionetwork.com with weird news in the subject line. That is not where you send really bad ads. That's Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. I'm the weird news person, Jamie at horseradionetwork.com. J-A-M-I-E. Okay, moving on from that. I would like to thank these lovely people who took uh, t- took up the challenge. Sarah, Brooke, Allison, Alicia, Anna, Laura, Stephanie, wow. Jolyn, Katie, and Laureen. <laughs> that <crap>. is <laughs> one week. That's awesome. Y'all are the best. Now, I wish I could get to all of them, but I can't. And I wish I could tell you who sent what, but it's none of your business. So... <laughs> We are going to start, let's see, we're going to start in Kent, Oregon, okay? And, and, you know, I love tweets that police and and, and state government put out. And so I'm going to, this is from KTVL.com, which is News 10 in Oregon. And it's so bad that I almost feel like I should read it. So basically, here's what happened. There was a car fire Uh, On Route 97, north of Kent, on Tuesday morning, and the freeway was shut down. What was on fire? A truck full of bananas. (laughs) Full of bananas. And so this is the... It's short. I'm going to read it so bad. The situation, which was not very appealing, (laughs) saw the truck incinerated and the bananas thoroughly flambéed. Drivers were advised to split and use other lanes, not monkeying around. Bunches of Oregon Department of Transportation workers helped clear the scene. All in three of blah, blah, blah. The driver of the truck uh, was escaped and unharmed. Um, hopefully the incident will not foster any ongoing issues. 
Now, here's the, that's so terrible. I just had to read it. But here's the Oregon DOT's tweet that they put out. <laughs> Turns out this morning's closure of US 97 north of Kent was due to a banana truck fire. We're very, very grateful that everyone is okay. And personally, I'm a little surprised to share that this is the third flaming banana truck of my career. <laughs> Do they what spontaneously do combust or what? I don't know. Is it like wet hay that you put up? Yeah. Like, what's going on? Why are there three banana trucks that have caught on fire in Kent, Oregon? I don't know. Well, whatever. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, sorry. Come on. Come on. It's, it's not working. Come on. And now coming in from Central Thailand. Central <laughs> Thailand, everybody. A Buddhist temple. Let me, you know what? For those listening at home and the children listening, drugs are bad. Okay? Don't do drugs. Because four monks, and including an abbot at a temple in Fetchabun, the province of Bun Samphon district tested positive for meth. All the monks in the temple are now in rehab because all the monks got hooked on meth and now they have no monks in the town because they're all rehab. They have been stripped of their cloaks and uh, apparently uh, th this is like a big problem in the community because like nobody's doing all the monk things. So you know what? Drugs are bad. Don't do meth and don't be a monk doing meth because you'll lose your job. Holy crap. That's not something you think about every day. No. And apparently... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. They said meth is found easily in every corner of Thailand and supply is up everywhere. And they're saying right now, meth is cheaper than beer. Wow. Ugh. Drugs are bad. Don't do drugs. And we always that's think just that the United story. States is the only one that has these problems, right? Mm -hmm. But no, that's not true. Now next. Is anybody having breakfast right now? If you are, you may want to just either put it away <laughs> or come back and revisit this story at a later hour. Okay, so there's, a, there's an artist. His name is Mark Quinn. And he um, decided to chronicle a period of his life, good or bad. And so what Mark Quinn did was, okay, so he, he made a mold of his head, okay? So like he took like, I don't know, silicone or something, wrapped around his face and made a mold of his head and peeled it off and like set it down and Got it all. There's a mold of his face. And he did this every five years for 20 years. Ooh, that's dedication. And you can, <laughs> yeah. You can see the mold. It's called um, self. It's a frozen cast of the artist's head. What is it made from, Glenn? What's the on the inside of self? His blood. His blood. He drew his own blood. Ten liters. How many liters is in a human body? Every five years, he would draw ten liters of his own blood, mix it with silicone, and pour that into the mold of his own head. 
and then let it dry, flip it over and be like, here's my head. However, do you know what happens if it's not kept frozen? It melts into a big gelatinous bloody mess. So self is having to be kept on display in, um, well, it's like a free, like a freezer box, but it has a glass encaser on the top, so you can very clearly see his bloodhead. <laughs> God, I was okay with it until you got to the blood part. I was, I was yeah, with yeah, because it's not weird until that part. <laughs> I mean, it's strange, but I wouldn't call it full fledged weird. And this is like. On this, it just actually the run just ended, so you can't see it. Just ended last week, but you know what's really disturbing is that if you go, uh, go to mymodernmet.com and you can look up Mark Quinn's self sculpture and scroll down, and you can see the disturbing photos that are right in my face as I'm trying to read the story of the giant cut up looking head. How much blood did he take out? 10 liters. He must have done it over a period of time because there's only five liters in the body. Oh boy! So he was been he did this all year. He's, oh God, this is dedication. That can't be. That can't be good. Thank you. There's well, dedication honey, for you. It's time for dinner. I'm sorry. I'm drawing my own blood for my art sculpture. Can we talk about the fact that the Met actually displayed it? Um, that is not at the Met. Oh, Let's okay. see where it is. It is at uh, the My Modern Met. Is like an art website that details uh, like different art gotcha. everywhere so the med does not have it it's some place over in um europe oh, that okay, has gotcha. displayed it and his other thing called self which is a bunch of handprints made out of bread i don't know <laughs> i don't get it <laughs> that so one weird. i can get behind not so much the blood one uh, make something that won't rot <laughs> all right now we're gonna get weird this is our final story for the day Where is it? It's in Florida. Mm. And there's a woman woman that is suing Kraft, you know, like the mac and cheese company for five million dollars. Why is she suing Kraft for five million dollars? Did she get poisoned by their food? Did she work there and fall down a flight of stairs? Somebody had mopped and not put up a sign. Did she get burned with hot coffee? No, Glenn, she is suing Kraft Heinz for misleading advertising. What is the the company misleading her about? The company markets Velveeta shells and cheese as being ready in three and a half minutes. However, she's saying that that is not true. Okay. It is not true. Um, Here. uh, Okay. So uh, Amanda Ramirez says that's the amount of time each cup needs to be microwaved and that the actual preparation process, which is opening the container, stirring in the water to let the cheese sauce thicken, that actually takes longer. You have to open the top and pour stuff in. That is not part of the three and a half minutes and it is false advertising and I will not stand for it and you owe me $5 million. (laughs) 
Ramirez's legal team says she is like many consumers who seek to stretch their money as far as possible when buying groceries and chose Velveeta over other similar products because the prep time is prominently promised on the label and she wouldn't have bought it if she, quote, hadn't known the truth. So she her two minutes of time that she lost is worth five million dollars. I waste a lot of time on the daily that I should get paid for. You should. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. The lawsuit says the show is one of the things you probably should get paid for, but we're not going to mention that. Yeah. As an, as an, (laughs) um, Kraft Heinz was not, uh, Oh, by the way, she's also looking into other products. (laughs) So you better like over pro over deliver and under promise. Right. So I'm like, you know, what? lawyer thought this was a good idea. One that had nothing else to do. It reminds me of like Seinfeld when Kramer yes. walks into the yeah. lawyer to Jackie's office. He's like, Jackie, okay, here's the thing. <laughs> this is what's happening. You know what? You're right. That is a lie. Three and a half minutes. It takes at least four. At least four. Because you have to open yeah. the container and pour everything in. So that is a lie. Mm. It's true. You know what that's worth? About five million. <laughs> Only in Florida. Well, thank you, everybody, for submitting your stories to Jamie. We really appreciate it. Uh, Tomorrow on the show, we are going to have the Sidelines Magazine issue. By the way, uh, that episode, they're talking about their pick for the hottest horseman of the year that they do every year. And he will be on the show. And you all know who he is. So I'm not saying any more than that. You You haven't said who it is? No. Uh, we're gonna that'll be tomorrow so uh tune in in to tomorrow uh so that's uh and by the way i I, from what i hear and uh he was a little reluctant to take the position but then then bowed to pressure so So that'll be on tomorrow's show and then friday really bad ads get your ads into jennifer at horseradionetwork.com and also get your entries in for the saddle contest go to horse radio network click on the on the banner at the top of the page and uh either you can just sign up you don't have to send us a poem you don't have to send us anything uh but we would like if you would send us a poem or a song and uh apparently now farm boy is a target of uh, uh, oh, great <laughs> You notice I'm not playing it again, even though I want to. <laughs> Spade, neuter, and gelb. Uh, I'm so, so by myself. I'm so alone now. Once he finds out about this. <laughs> <laughs>